Great. Well, hey, it's great to meet you guys. My name's Drew. For those I don't know, but even as I look around, it's amazing how many of you I do know. And um, it's so fun to get to be here on the cutest Sunday of the year, Baby Dedication Sunday. Uh, there's some really cute babies in this church, so I always, it's such a blast to get to watch it. Um, my wife Bethany and our four kids are back in Waco where we live, and um, as Chris shared, I have the privilege of serving with Antioch um, now over 20, or just at 20 years, so I've been a part of this, um, and just such, it's such a joy to get to be a part of this family. And one of my favorite things is getting to come be here with Antioch Austin, and um, I love this community. I love the heart of hospitality that I see in this church, the heart of service that I see in this church, the heart of generosity I see in this church. So many of you in this room have blessed me personally and served so many others, so thank you for loving Jesus. Thanks for welcoming me, and it's going to be a blast this morning. Well, um, before we get started with our, our, our series, we're continuing Church in the Wild as we go through the book of Acts, I wanted to kick things off with a couple testimonies of just ways that God is moving. The, one of the privileges of my job is I get to travel around, visit churches, and hear the stories of what God's doing. Uh, three weeks ago, we had a gathering of young adults in Phoenix, Arizona, just, I think, 17 different Antioch churches represented. Maybe some of you were there. And, you know, I, I, wasn't, I didn't get to go personally, but the stories I heard out of it, just God visiting them as they gathered and worshiped and prayed. I um, heard stories of people that had walked away from the Lord and, you know, just their whole community just grieved and praying for them, family praying for them. Somehow they showed up, and one in particular, just the presence of God came, deep repentance, restoration, coming back to Jesus. And um, that was the theme of the whole weekend of, of confession and healing and breakthrough. They said that as they joined um, Antioch Phoenix for their, their, I think it's their 10.30 service on Sunday morning, they didn't finish till after 4 p.m. just because the presence of God was filling that room and a visitation from the Spirit of God. Isn't that awesome? And I've heard that testimony just around, you know, it, it's not any one location, but it just seems like for the last several months, I just keep hearing people talk about the way that the Spirit is moving in the church. Um, another cool testimony, two weeks ago in Waco, we had our annual baptism service and baptized 129 people. And, you know, it was just like, if you, if you ever get to be a part of a service like that, I know you guys do it here. It's like a tearjerker the whole time, you know, seeing families baptized together. Uh, and I love, it's like the baby dedication, the baptism services, just these moments in life where we're making these commitments to follow Jesus just does something to me. And so that's happening the whole time. And, I, you know, some of these are stories I've become familiar with, so it even adds a whole other layer to it. Um, but one of my favorite parts of what happened was... During the service, I think we only had 120 signed up, but people, as they're watching others get baptized, decide they want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. And at least 11 people came out into our lobby, professed Christ for the very first time, made a decision to follow Jesus, and got in line and got baptized. That's worth clapping about, yeah. <laughs> Why do I say all this? Guys, God is moving. This is a great time to be alive, where I know there's challenges in the world. It's, it's obviously so easy to be overwhelmed and discouraged, and there's plenty to grieve, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that God is on the move in this day, and we get to partner with him. Amen? Well, this morning, we're going to um, pick back up in, in the book of Acts. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. It'll be our main text this morning. And I know we've been in this series, Church in the Wild. Um, and now, this passage, you, you may be familiar with the reference, because this passage I'm about to read is the vision statement for our life groups that meet every single week. And, you know, it's kind of intimidating to preach something that's getting preached every single week in life group, but um, we, we use it because we have patterned so much of who we are as a church off of this passage of scripture. And, and hopefully you'll see that as we unpack it, um, as we unpack it this morning. And 
You know, I, I was thinking about it, though, and it's obviously a really awesome thing um, that we're so familiar with the text, but there's also a danger of being too familiar with the passage of Scripture. You know why? Because you, you read it and you lose sight of the impact it's meant to have for you. And so this morning, on the one hand, as I read it, um, I'm hoping we can draw some new stuff out of the text. But on the other, ultimately, I believe it has to be the Holy Spirit that comes and brings fresh conviction to us. So I want to pray to start our time. We're just going to ask God, will you come and take something that for many may be familiar and, and will you breathe new life on it and, and speak to us what you want to say? So Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you'd get me out of the way this morning, that this wouldn't be just our words, but God, will you come and speak to us? Lord, we want that. We want the breath of God in the church to bring your conviction, your hope, your healing. Lord, I pray for each person in this room. Lord, you know the needs that are out there in the congregation this morning. Lord, what we walked in with, and I just declare there, there's no way that we can bring the life and the healing that, that needs to happen but you can. So, Spirit of God, make your word come alive to us this morning. We humble ourselves before you. We invite you in and say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to read it for us. Um, one thing I would love for you to do is pay attention as I'm reading um, for where you see things repeated, all right? So that's going to feature into what we talk about later, but just read along with me, but pay attention to where you see things repeated. And you're welcome to read in your own Bible, but I am going to have it on the screen, and I'm using a um, translation of scripture you may not be as familiar with. It's the CSB, the Christian Standard Version, and um, I'm doing that for a reason because I think it, it translates this passage maybe better than others. Um, so you might want to um, pay attention to what's on the screen behind me as well. All right, let's read our passage this morning, starting in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Amen. Well, as we read this passage this morning, uh, I want to highlight something at the beginning of a different way of writing of how people back in the time of the New Testament wrote different than we write in modern times. All right, so hang me through me for this part. I'm going to be a little bit Bible teacher here for a moment. But back, you know, today, like if you think about it, if I'm going to write something, the way that you were all trained to write, no matter, you know, how far you finished in school, is we write in linear order, right? Like you have your, your thesis and you have point one, point two, point three. It's like elementary school writing. Um, even if you're telling a story, how do we tell stories in order, don't we? Like what happened first, then next, then next, then next. So, you know, as an example, my thesis, Austin traffic is bad. I drove on I-35, I drove on Mopac, I drove on South Lamar. Like, you know, that, that's, how we, that's how we tend to write and that's how we tend to talk. And so much so that like that's what we start to expect whenever we read something. But that's actually not how most of the New Testament authors always thought. They had other ways of writing. And I'm going to give you a fancy word and then I'm going to give you a not fancy word, all right? So I'm speaking to like the nerdy ones first and then the rest of us second. Um, the fancy word is called a chiasm. The not fancy word is a sandwich, so you can pick which one you like. 
But the way that they would write, and the reason I like to use a sandwich, is picture how a sandwich has two loaves of bread, right? And the two loaves of bread are the same, and then there's a lot of good stuff in the middle. And so in the same way, a lot of times what you see in the New Testament is you'll see somebody will make a point here at the beginning of what they're saying, and then they'll make the same point at the end of what they're saying. And those two things talk to each other. They're the two loaves of bread. But then, if that's the first layer, then you have a second layer and sometimes even a third layer as you move your way into the middle. So you have the loaves of bread, you have the mayo, and the delicious meat. And you can figure out what that is for you. So that's how our passage, and and I think probably the best way to study this this morning, is we're going to look at verse 41 and look at verse 47. And I think what you're going to see is they're really similar. Then we're going to look at verse 42 and verse 46, and I think what you're going to see is they're really similar. And then we're going to look at the three verses in the middle. Is that making sense to you? So we got 41 and 47 are the loaves of bread, 42 and 46 are the mayo, or butter, some of my kids don't like mayo, and verse 43 through 45, that's the center, that's the meat of, of maybe what God's trying to speak to us. All right, does that sound good? So let's walk through this, because um, maybe it'll give us a fresh way of looking at our passage this morning. So how does it begin? I'm going, to read the, I'm going to read these verses over 41 and 47. Verse 41 says this, those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Verse 47, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. All right, you catching it? So what is the context of our verse today? We are talking about a time in the history of the church where people were being added consistently because God was on the move. Did you notice who was doing the adding? God was the one who was moving. God was the one who was bringing people into the church. And, you know, if you could kind of just take a step back of what we've read so far in Acts, two weeks ago, Andrew shared about the disciples' expectations getting turned upside down of what God was going to do. And then last week, Chris shared a message. I heard it was a powerful time of ministry about the Holy Spirit breathing his life into the church. And if you keep reading, after what we read last week, you hear Peter preaching the first gospel message in the church and um, and the rest of Acts chapter 2. And then it gets to this point, one of my favorite verses in scripture talks about people being cut to the heart. They're seeing the Holy Spirit move. They're hearing the words of the gospel message of what God has done. God is bringing conviction and they're saying, what must we do to be saved? And then on that day, 3,000 people are added into the church. They're being baptized in. So it's a context where God is on the move. The testimonies I shared with you earlier sound very familiar to what we read about this morning, don't they? The spirit of God being poured out in the church, people being baptized, spontaneously added. Now, I think it's easy sometimes to read the Bible and think that was then, but this is now. But church, I would like to tell you that today is still then. The spirit of God is still breathing on the church. People are still being added in. In other words, our context is the same as their context. This is a time when God is moving, just like it was for them. Now, that's probably always true, but I do think there's something special about this hour in history. I don't know that I can, like, defend this other than just my own sense of what God is doing, but I believe we're on the front end of a revival movement where God is on the move in our nation. And I don't know about you, but we need it, don't we? And I just so desperately want to be a part of God. If you're moving, I want to see it. If you're moving and I can play some small role, I want to partner with you in this hour. So I think this is relevant to us. Now, typically when we're reading these passages, you know, and I talk about a biblical sandwich, normally the loaves of bread, they describe what's going on in the world around us. 
But what God's doing is he's using that to pull us into the middle and saying, now here's your part to play in this story. So we're talking about a time where God is moving, but now I want to move into our next layer of the passage. And this is really the the heart of what I want to share this morning. And I'm going to read these verses, verse 42 and verse 46, and, and pay attention to what's repeated. Verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Then you jump to verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What's the repeated word? Devoted. And some English translations, they miss this, and it it drives me nuts um, because it's like so obviously this is what they're trying to capture here is this, this word devoted. You could transf- translate it like a steadfast continuing. We're talking here about a commitment. It's us making the choice of saying, this is not something I'm just gonna do once. This is not something I'm gonna do when it's convenient. This is something I have made this commitment. I have, uh, you know, my feet are on firm ground and I'm not gonna give up. I am devoted to something. And so when we talk about being an Acts 2 church, what I would submit to us is it starts with a devotion. It starts with a commitment. It starts with saying, no matter what happens, I will not be moved. This is what God has given me to do. I am committed to to pressing in and to being the church. And that's the example that I believe that the the New Testament gives to us. Now, most of us, and you said it yourselves earlier, most of us, if given the choice, would love to see revival, wouldn't we? We'd love to see waves of salvation. We'd love to see society turned upside down restored. We'd love to see people's lives healed and transformed. Like this is in our heart, isn't it? And I think that would probably be true. I could probably go to most churches and I'm going to hear people say, amen. I think the bigger question for us this morning is not, do we want to see revival, but are we willing to live devoted? Are we willing to live with a steadfast commitment like we see in the book of Acts? And I think this is the legacy of the early church, but even as I've studied other revival movements throughout history, the common theme I see in them is a steadfast commitment to living out the things of God as a community. And I know we live in an age where we want to see the fruit of a a revival movement, but are we willing to live the devotion of a revival movement? I believe that's the question for this hour. And this runs into one of our great cultural idols, is we like things fast Quick, easy, convenient. Anybody else agree with me? (laughs) We are a society enamored with a quick fix. Anybody ever gotten mad in the drive-thru line that it was taking too long? I remember I had this moment one time. I I don't, maybe it was Chick-fil-A. I don't want to call them out, but it was somebody like where my expectations are maybe a little higher than other unnamed fast food places of how quick it's going to be. And it was like five minutes and I was starting to get frustrated. And I was having this like moment of righteous anger of why are my fries taking so long, you know? And then like out of the blue, I don't know if it was the Lord or, or what, but out of the blue, I just had this thought like, what would my ancestors think of me in this moment? <laughs> they would spend a whole year farming a field to like eke out an existence and, and, and a whole day hunting one animal to feed the family. And I'm arguing that my fries are taking five minutes, you know? But that's a great symbol, I think, of our cultural expectation of how things are intended to be. Fast, convenient, with good customer service, right? That's what we want. I did a little little digging on this, very official. 
I found this study from the year 2013 that the average American, get this, gains weight dieting. Don't even tell, like, I don't even know. (laughs) But, you know, we chase after quick fixes for things. And they don't always work. It's pretty well established. You can look, Google this one. Lottery winners tend to have less happiness in the end. I don't even know how you measure happiness, you know, in a scientific study. Somebody tried. But it's like this thought, if I could just have a silver bullet fix to whatever my thing is that would allow me to circumvent maybe the longer standing devotion and process that's required for lasting change, somehow my life would be better. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm all for if somebody wants to give me a million dollars, but I think we have this thought that there's a silver bullet, easy solution out there for whatever our problem is that causes us to hold back from the type of commitment that it takes to bring about a lasting change. How many of you know that the things in life that are important require a commitment? I mean, this morning was such a beautiful illustration of that. Like, if you could just sit with what we're doing here, we're saying, you know, as parents, but also as a community, like, we are committed to these kids. And it's going to cost us. It's not like a commitment for the rest of this year. It's a lifelong commitment that I am going to be willing to die to myself as a parent. I am willing to lay down my own things for the sake of their thriving. And and as a community, we're making that commitment, saying, I'm not just looking at my friend and saying, good luck with that, but I'm going to get in there with you. And whether it's serving in kids' church or um, as a life group rallying around family in needs, I mean, there's so many ways that this is expressed. But we're doing it this morning because we recognize that things that are important in this life require a commitment if we want to see the fullness of it. Or maybe said another way, quick fixes rarely bring about a lasting change. And that's my concern for us, is that the legacy that we see in the church is a steadfast commitment, but we live in a culture that tells us things should be quick, fast, easy. We look for a quick fix, and just like it doesn't work for our relationships, it certainly doesn't work in our walk with God. There is a commitment that is required. Now, I've got good and bad news for you this morning. Which one do you want first? I'm going to give you the good news first. (laughs) It wasn't really a question. Good news is that God has given you everything you need to have a thriving life in him. The Holy Spirit is within you. He's put you in the church. God is with you. He has given you everything that you need. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy, but I'm saying it's possible and it's your inheritance. Bad news is the ways of our world are not going to work for you to live in the fullness of that. We cannot have the quick fix culture that we see in our world and the fullness of what God has at the same time. We are going to have to make a choice of what we're devoted to and what we are committed to. And I do not believe there's any way around that. You know, I was with a friend a year ago who's a church historian, and he studies, um, you know, a lot of church history, especially in the Great Awakening era a couple hundred years ago, and his focus is on early American Methodism. Uh, But if you could go back in time, a couple hundred years, there was a massive revival movement across our nation that really altered the course of our nation's history. So if you're geeky like I am, it's fun to go look at some of this. Um, and one of those groups was the early Methodist, and they, you know, just crazy stories of um, supernatural, the power of God, of salvation, like all kinds of really cool stuff. But the thing that he really studied that, that really fascinated me was the way that they did church. And so what they did in church is to be a part of that movement was you were committed to a small group of 12 people where you had fellowship and discipleship and spiritual growth. Does that sound familiar? Then, as a part of that group, they would have smaller groups, men with men, women with women, of groups of two and three for deeper accountability, 
and they would gather on Sunday mornings for corporate worship. Does that sound familiar? And so they had different names for it. So what we would call a discipleship group, they called a band. What we would call a life group, they called a class. What they, we would call church service, they would call a society. So it you know, had different names, but it's the same basic thing. And you can go look at other groups that experience revival, and there's often these same structures that they had, and it's patterned off of what we read in the book of Acts. So I'm talking to my friend, though, and what stood out to me was the commitment that these people had. And he described to me, I, I, I might botch this, sorry, Kevin, but... Um, I want to say that if people missed more than three and a quarter, they got kicked out of the church. I am not suggesting that. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't know that I'd make it. <laughs> I have to turn in my membership. You know, but I was like, holy cow, who are these people? And so what, you know, for our purposes this morning, I, I told my friend, I was like, man, that kind of commitment, people just don't do that anymore. And what he said next was really convicting to me. Because he immediately interrupted me and argued with me. He said, no, you're wrong. I was like, okay, tell me. He's like, people do make that commitment today. They just make that commitment for different things. We are that committed to our careers or our kids' extracurricular activities or fill in the blank. It's not that we aren't willing to make commitments. The question is, what are we willing to commit to? Right? Now, I want to balance that. Please, like, be faithful in your job and support your kids in, in the activities God's given them. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to say this as an either or. But what I'm trying to highlight, though, is somehow our spiritual life, that kind of commitment has become optional where other areas of our life we're still committed. And I think if we want to walk in the fullness of what God has for us, something there is going to have to give, and we're going to have to capture that steadfast devotion that we see in the early church. And, and this morning... I pray you hear every word just dripping in grace, all right? But I do want to ask us the question. And the question is, if I were to look at our schedule, my schedule, your schedule, does the reality of how we spend our time reflect the commitment that we want to have with God? And I know that that can bring up all kinds of issues for us. I, um, I pray this morning that, you know, all of this is not some kind of legalistic checklist. That is not my heart. And just something I found over the years of walking with God, the way that I can differentiate between the healthy conviction of the Holy Spirit and the unhealthy condemnation that comes from the enemy is hope. When the Spirit of God convicts me, sometimes it feels like a gut punch, but there's always hope. And when the enemy condemns me, there's never hope. So this morning, every situation is different, and I get that. I'm hesitant to even bring this kind of stuff up because I, unless I know your whole world, I, I, I don't know how God's leading you and your family as a person. And there's so many different variables out there. I, I can't possibly wrap my head around all of it. So that's why I'm giving this to you as a question, not as a statement. You know, in your life, I, I, I don't know it. I don't know all the dynamics, but I do want to just humbly suggest, ask the question, does my life reflect, does the schedule in my life reflect the commitment that I want to have to the things of God. And let's let the Holy Spirit bring his conviction. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to look like somebody else that looks really sold out and maybe that feels really intimidating. Uh, you know, I know for some of us, immediately you hear something like that and it goes into just one more item on the checklist. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about this morning is Holy Spirit, my life is yours. Now just show me, what does it look like to be fully committed? And and even for me, you know, that looked different as a young adult than it did as a parent with four young kids. Uh, it was fun seeing all you standing up here. Um, I look at some of your families, I'm like, wow, you must be so tired. That's crazy. But then I remember that we had three kids under the age of three at one point. And so I'm like, okay, <laughs> I survived. You can too. 
Parenting is a joy, you know? And so my commitment looked different in that season than it did other seasons. And there's grace for all of that. And and that's ultimately this morning, rather than me trying to highlight any one specific thing you've got to do, instead what I'm trying to to highlight is this word commitment. Because I don't always know what the commitment needs to be for you, but I do know that the commitment needs to be there. Are we committed? Are we devoted? Does the reality of our life reflect who we want to be and how we want to live in God? I know for me, this was ultimately what brought about the greatest transformation. I grew up in a really awesome Christian home, great parents, but by the time I was a teenager, I'd started to wander from God. And what was tricky in my case is that I was the good kid in my friend group. And anybody know being the good kid just means less relatively bad than everybody else? So like I wasn't committing crimes and I wasn't on drugs, so I was the good kid, right? And, and yet I was so far away from God. I was living in hidden sin in a really deep way. I was not spending time with God. There was nothing in my life that would reflect the commitment of a disciple of Jesus. And so I showed up for um, college and, you know, I was just kind of doing my thing for six months, but somehow I ended up in an Antioch life group and a men's group. And for six months, I was like the flakiest, I don't even know how to describe how checked out I was, but I kept showing up. So at least, <laughs> at least I had that going for me. And around spring break, I got conned into going on a mission trip. And that's a very intentional use of words because I had been holding my options open for spring break um, to do something with my friends, but they didn't plan anything. I didn't want to be alone. So I put down the deposit to go on the mission trip. And that week they all decided to go skiing and the church wouldn't give me my money back. So that's how I ended up. Like that was my exact faith level when I showed up. But while I was there, God just met with me. And for a week, I encountered the presence of God in ways I never had before. And I remember, you know, at the end of this week, it's like each day I was seeing more of him and being brought into the things of the kingdom. And it was like, I just saw a different way of living. It's like an Acts 2 experience where the spirits poured out at Pentecost. People are being saved. I'm experiencing freedom and deep Christian fellowship. And, you know, it's this awesome moment. But I still remember, I'll never forget it, driving back at the end. It's 2 a.m. in the middle of nowhere, West Texas. And I'm like the only one, a couple of us guys are the only ones awake on this bus. And we're sharing the stories of what God has done. And then Robert, the guy who'd mentored me, asked this provocative question. He said, okay, guys, you know, praise God for what he did. But now what are you going to do about it? And I don't know if you've ever had this before, but it's like time stood still. And I saw it ahead of me. And the road was turning in two different directions. I could keep living the way I had been living, chasing after the quick fixes, not being willing to make any kind of change in my life. And within a month, I would end up right back where I was. Or when I got back, I could make a commitment, a steadfast continuing, a devotion to the things of God and to the people of God, and that would ultimately lead to a transformation that I could walk in for the rest of my life. So I came back, and that's what I did. I I just still remember I was there, and it was like something rose up in my spirit. What am I going to do about it? The answer is whatever it takes, because what I have tasted, I must have. And so I will do whatever it takes. I got back. I started doing nightly accountability. That's just how messed up I was. You probably don't need that, but I did. Nobody made me. This wasn't legalism. This is me wanting to be free. I pressed into community. I I reordered my life to have rhythms of seeking God. And, you know, it wasn't easy at first, but I was committed. And over time, that worked and brought about a deep transformation by the Holy Spirit. And I say this because it would be so easy to recount my testimony and say, a mission trip changed my life. But that is not true. The mission trip was a catalyst, but it was decades of commitment, pressing into community. More often than not, when I didn't want to be there, that's what changed my life. 
And I believe that's what it's going to take for every single one of us. The challenge is it's often not exciting. Just like anything else that has value, it's often not things that are really exciting, but they are things that bring about change. It's a steadfast continuing. It's a commitment. So just in the last few minutes of our time, I want to go back into the passage and and look for a minute at what was the church committed to. And we're going to see two things that I believe are here in the text. First is we see that the church was committed to a set of values and how they were going to live. And second, what we're going to see is that the church was committed to rhythms of, you know, discipleship and life and and just what it meant to be the church. So why don't we put those those verses back up on the screen. Um, We're going to pick back up in verse 42, all right? It says this, they were devoted, what was it? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Just pause there for a second. What did it mean to be committed to the early church? First of all, to scripture, all right? The apostles' teaching, that's what it represents. And then prayer, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. It's the presence of God in the church. But I want to hit the other two because I think they're important for us. The breaking of bread, that's, in scripture, this is referring to communion. And and it's literal communion. When we gather in life group or on a Sunday morning and we take the Lord's Supper, like that was the early church's devotion. But maybe even at a deeper level, what they were devoted to is the presence of God in the church. Do you realize that when we gather here on Sundays and when we gather at life group, we're not here because of other people, we're here because of Jesus. Like no matter how good or bad the sermon is, no matter how good or bad the worship is, no matter how dynamic the life group is, no matter if you spend the entire time at life group holding a crying child, like it's not ultimately just about what happens in that room, but it's the fact that Christ is present with us is why we gather. And I never want to lose sight of that. But then... Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship. And this is an interesting word because I think we can like equate it to just hanging out. And there is an element of just spending life together that is fellowship. But this is also the same word that's used in the scripture to describe the relationship that Jesus, God himself, the son, had with God himself, the father. Fellowship is more than just hanging out. Fellowship is a deep union that happens in a spiritual way. And what I have found with the things of God, I think my message would be a lot easier today if it was just describing your commitment to spending time with God on your own. But everything I read in scripture is that the way that we grow in God is with each other. Like, I don't have a problem with God. He's easy, but I don't always, you know, feel great about everybody else, right? But do you realize that God did not adopt you into an individualistic relationship with the Father, but God adopted you into a family, God has set it up that if we want to walk in the fullness of what he has for us, that it's going to take all of us to live in that fullness. And I don't get it. I don't even always have to like it, but I don't make the rules around here. God's the one who set it. And I see that as I read the New Testament over and over and over and over again. It's that God has designed it that we together are the place where he encounters us and ultimately transforms us, not just we by ourselves. There's an element of it that's you and God, but there's also a crucial element of you and your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And your brothers and sisters aren't going to be perfect. It's not always going to be easy. They're going to annoy you. They might even hurt you. But God has set it up to where we need one another so that we can walk in the fullness of what he has for us. There's a commitment to each other that takes place in church. I I remember, um, you know, the word obligation is like a dirty word in our language. You know that, right? Like, nobody ever talks about obligations as a good thing. Um, In my family, 
We have four birthdays in an eight-day time span and Thanksgiving. And so in that week, the word obligation is very like, important for me because every night of the week, I have an obligation to go do something. And I'm always tired. And I remember two years ago, I was complaining as I was driving and I was like venting at God, like, why do I have so many obligations? And the Lord just rebuked me. He said, Drew, obligations are a sign that you belong. You have obligations when you belong in community. If you don't want obligations, don't belong anywhere and be alone. And I want to recapture that word. There's obviously an unhealthy sense to the word obligation. I'm not talking about, about trying to perform for somebody else or whatever. But what I am trying to talk about is a commitment to the people that we walk with. It's actually a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. And I want to, I want to fight for that again. I'm like, this is a good thing that we need to walk in the fullness of what God has given us. So they were devoted to these values, but they were also devoted to a set of rhythms. Every day they met together in the temple course and house to house. And this is what we've patterned our church after. This is what, as Antioch, the rhythms that we believe God has given us is that we meet in house to house in life group and we meet corporately on a Sunday morning. And, you know, I know this summer, in addition to that, just rhythm that you guys are going to be walking in, um, we're also going to be doing something different on the first Friday of the month of June, July, and August. Um, an additional way for you to live this out is through encounter nights, and they're going to happen um, not just in one central location, but in houses throughout the community. So please stay tuned for that. Um, but as an Antioch church, that's what we do, is we meet house to house. We meet corporately, or what you're doing this summer, we do them both at the same time. But for us, it's not one or the other, but it's the act of us doing them together. There's something that happens in the small group that only happens in the small group. There's a fellowship, there's a connectedness, there's an accountability I know for me, like just having a group of men that I walk with every single day, um, you know, and we still like, we text each other once a week to check in. We have lunch in our life group. You know, we get to know each other. We raise our families together. There's that kind of stuff that happens in the small group. But then in a corporate service, there's the spiritual gifts. There's a corporate encounter of God, the diversity of everybody coming together and bringing who they are. There's something that happens there. And we believe it's when those two things happen together, God does something beautiful. So let's end with this. I've given you the bread. I've given you the mayo. Um, I want to end our time by looking at the middle of our passage this morning. Um, why don't you read it with me? Um, starting in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done among the apostles. All the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and good and they distributed their property to all as any had need. Isn't that amazing? Like, imagine if that was our normal church experience. Every time we show off, it's, it's wonder, it's awe, it's wondering what God is going to do this morning. I've tasted that before. I don't know if you have. I want you to. I've been in these environments where the presence of God is there, and it's like time stands still, and we just experience Him. It's such an amazing thing. And, you know, I, I, on the one hand, of course, not every time we gather is going to be like that, but I don't want to lose my hope for the way that God wants to move in His church. I heard a great story of a friend who was pastoring a church in West Texas, and things just weren't going well. And he described it to me this way. He said there were some praying ladies in the church that just got mad because things weren't going well, so they started to pray. I was like, that's awesome. You know, maybe you're looking at your life group, and you're like, Drew, there's not wonder and awe in our life group. I get it. I've led some of the worst life groups in Antioch history. I've led life groups that had, like, pick your problem. One time I led a life group that had 22 kids under the age of seven. So, like, I, I understand life group isn't always wonder and awe, but I don't want to let that lose sight of what could be, of God breaking in. 
And he described the story of these ladies who were frustrated and they gathered to pray. And he said one Sunday morning, just a random Sunday, he's preaching out of the Bible and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on the church out of nowhere. And for five straight years, that church experienced a renewal of the Holy Spirit. This tiny little town. And it just brought this incredible transformation throughout their community. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in the church if you'll commit. And if your life group's not there yet, pray. Just ask God to show up. Be consistent. You can only, you know, you can't bring the revival. That's the good news this morning, right? We can't do that part of it, but we can commit. We could say, God, come. And then lastly, what do we see? We see radical generosity in the church. That same word talking about dividing up their possessions is the word that is used at Jesus' crucifixion of them dividing up his garments. And I love how the story is flipped. It used to be people coming to God and just taking, taking, taking from one another so they can get their own. But when the spirit of God shows up in the church, now what we're doing is we're dividing our own to give it away to those who have need. And that's not something you can make people do. That's something that people do when they've met with the living God and start to live the ways of the kingdom. Put another way, when we live this kind of commitment, when we become the church, then we start to see the transformation that we can never do in our own strength. And friends, that's who God's called us to be. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? This morning, I was reminded last week or two weeks ago at our baptism bash, there was a guy named Ty who got baptized. And I'd met him at church um, just a couple weeks earlier. He's hard to miss, kind of a big dude, um, real nice guy. But I got to hear more of his testimony that he had showed up at our baptism service or I'm sorry, showed up at Life Group a few months earlier and he had gotten to the point where he had almost taken his own life, just in a really dark place. And the Life Group, they gathered around him and he just described how he kept showing up week after week and then finally one week he just bore his soul to the group and he said, the group just gathered around me, laid hands on me, just prayed for me. And something broke in him and he ended up giving his heart to Jesus and God started working this transformation. We got to witness him getting baptized two weeks ago and his son, who's 10 years old, is just bawling, watching his dad coming up out of the water. It's just like this beautiful moment of what does it look like when God shows up and moves in the church. But what I got to thinking about in that moment was the commitment of people who showed up at Life Group every single week and prayed. You know, that kind of story happens when people are willing to press into community when something doesn't seem like it's happening. And I know a little bit more about that group because that group started with a friend of mine named Jason who had been incarcerated, serving a felony conviction, showed up at Antioch Waco about 15 years ago, didn't know anybody. He showed up with his son and another one of our life group leaders met him, took him out to lunch and invited him to their life group. So you got this guy, grew up inner city Waco, showing up at a suburban life group. I asked him, did you feel uncomfortable? And he said, I didn't have time to because I was so loved. And that group walked with him. They brought a restoration in his life. He ended up marrying the woman he'd had a child with. 15 members of his family got saved. His boss got saved who led his family to the Lord. And now we see that legacy continue with this guy named Ty and his son is watching. It just makes me wonder what's gonna happen next. Amen? It's a commitment. I can't guarantee that's what your life group is gonna look like. But I do wanna invite you this morning. Are we willing to say yes and press into what it means to be the people of God? So I'd like to invite our ministry teams down to the front. And I'm gonna pray over us here in just a moment. But there's three groups of people that I wanna pray for this morning. Um, first, if you have need, maybe it's totally unrelated to anything I've shared. I just always feel when we gather as church, the Holy Spirit is present in our midst. Please don't leave without getting one of the pastors or life group leaders to pray over you. I just have faith. God wants to meet you. And if that's you, you don't have to wait for me to finish talking. Like, just come on down, get prayer. Let us pray for you. 
And that's why we do this every Sunday. We have times of ministry because we believe God is present and he wants to meet with his people. Second group of people I want to pray for this morning is you're there and for whatever reason, there is no judgment in this house. For whatever reason, you just realize I haven't been committed. And, and that could look, that could be your commitment with God. That your, could be your commitment with people. Maybe you've been committed to show up, but you recognize that you've held back in your heart. But you just feel this morning, it's, it's not the condemnation I talked about, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're like, I need to press in in a new way. And if that's you, I'd love to invite you down to the front. After the service, you can find somebody. We'd love to help you get connected to community in some way. And you can meet us out in the lobby. But if that's you this morning, I also want to invite you to come down for prayer. And in either of those two groups, just start making your way up. But the third group of people that I want to pray for this morning are those who do not know Jesus. And if you're out here today and you are far from God, I want to invite you this morning that today is a day where God wants to meet with you. And so this is not some magical formula, but it's just, I, I want to give you a short prayer that you can pray on your own. And what you're doing is in your heart, you're making a commitment to follow him. So if you've never made that commitment, or if you just recognize I'm far from God and, and I want to come back to him, I, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. So we're just going to bow our heads. And if you need Jesus, repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I need you. Just say it right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I confess that my way is not working. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. And today I make a commitment to turn and follow you. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that you rose again from the dead. And today I declare that my life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, don't leave without telling somebody, um, either the person you came with or one of our pastors, and we wanted to teach you what it means to walk with Jesus. So Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence, your nearness, your power, and your grace. Lord, I, I just ask that you teach us what does it mean to be committed to walk with you and to pray each person in this room that not one of us would leave without meeting with you in Jesus' name.